Oh, hey, everybody. This is Reanimated Podcast. It's a very special episode. It's number 359. It's uh, January something, um, middle to late January 2023. Uh, I'm Stuart. I'm one of your hosts. I'm in California. Coming at us from the New York side of things is H.A. Conrad in Brooklyn. Hello, H.A. Hello, hello. Hey. And we've got a special guest, Kyle Diaz, coming at us from Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Good morning. Good to be back on the show. Yeah, you know, we only bring you in for the heavy lifting. So uh, <laughs> this should be, I mean, it's its kind of last of us fever in this country, or maybe around the world right now. So we are nothing if not topical. You asked, I, I think I first talked to you about coming on for the last of us, like, <laughs> like three years ago, you're like, well, what's coming up that you want to be on? I'm like, oh, this last of us adaptation. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. So <laughs> Yeah. And at that time, I think you were the only one of the three of us who'd ever played the games. And I have since gotten a playstation and have dived right into into so i've played about as much as the show has shown us so it'll be it's 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 kind of an interesting um approach uh <laughs> however we have a little bit of news before we can get into that uh first episode that is available second one i think airs tonight um but we only have the first one in front of us at the moment and the news because it's been a couple weeks since we've podcasted but the news that has dropped and then has had some reactions which um i thought was funny <laughs> is uh fear of the walking dead is ending after its eighth season um mm -hmm. i'm sure kim dickens is super psyched that she agreed to come back on the show and then they canceled it uh, well <laughs> i don't know maybe that's why she decided to come back because she knew it would be short-lived i don't know yeah maybe she the the offer was look i know you don't want to be on this show but on the bright side it's going to be over in 16 episodes right. so uh stick it out um, and then uh, responding to that news, Eric Kane, the angriest critic at Forbes, uh, wrote a celebratory article about the how, entitled The Worst Show on TV is Finally Coming to an End. Uh, and if you recall, he also wrote like these are the eight worst TV shows on yeah, uh, in 2022. And it was all like prestige television shows <laughs> like he saves his, all of his ire. For the most expensive stuff which yeah expensive doesn't necessarily mean good and fear the walking dead was number one on his list so it all checks out for him uh what was funny about this though is he later had to come back and write an update to his article because he had angered so many people on the internet and um the update was really just to say yeah y'all suck i'm right you're wrong um which this isn't the eric kane show we're talking about zombies but still fear of the walking dead has been so bad kyle you'll yeah. be amazed to hear that we actually stopped reviewing it at only like a year ago we're not that we're not that good well i i remember that at one point you guys were like i guess we have to get back to fear of the walking dead huh <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> like after we finished one of our series and it did not sound like you were pumped about it so uh i'm i'm glad for you that you were able to stop uh <laughs> but i am surprised to hear it because you guys have such a, a commitment to all things uh all things zombies it's true. I mean, we we really did stick it out beyond when we should have probably we should probably stopped after season six or probably we should have quit as soon as Garrett Dillahunt left the show. Yeah. Once he once he said goodbye, I felt like that was that was the big sign. I mean, they were also getting was, paid and he was the only I mean, him and, and Jenna Elfman, that whole sort of storyline was kind of the only thing keeping me going. So yeah. I I wish we had stopped there, too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you live and learn. Um, it's not nice when the shows you love hurt you. Uh, mm -hmm. And then we stopped loving the show. So it's gone. And Eric Kane is happy. Well, he's never really that happy. He's, he's an angry man. As somebody who uh, has not seen The Walking Dead and does not know about 
much about Eric Kane. So I'm, I'm not passing judgment on the gentleman specifically or the show specifically, but I do fundamentally support the right to, you know, say that things are bad. <laughs> so like if he didn't like the show and he wants to write, you know, an article saying he didn't like the show, like I'm, I'm, I'm more on his side than all the folks, you know, deluging him apparently with their comments about how much they, they like fear the walking dead. Part of his like rebuttal to their rebuttal was look, yes, I haven't seen every television show on TV, <laughs> but this one was really, really bad. Um, and the thing is, what's funny also is the contrast. I think it was Eric Kane, if not him, his colleague, Paul Tassi, who when F- Fear the Walking Dead was in seasons one, two, and three, they were writing that this was the best show on television. Uh, like, so they only go from extremes to extremes. Mm-hmm. And uh, l- glancing through his list of worst shows of 2022, of which Fear the Walking Dead, as you mentioned, is number one, uh, I, I think he's kind of right. Like, there's a lot of bad shows on here, and <laughs> but the wor- as, to call them the worst shows, though, like yeah, there I, are I think definitely it's, worst a, shows out there. There's there's a uh, there's a you know um, a hype to to pay off r- relationship here that I think uh, you know if some if something no one's heard of ever comes out and and it, it's bad, it's not that big of a surprise. But like the Rings of Power, like it is extremely bad, and it's the most expensive maybe like the most expensive single thing ever made. So it's, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't see anything objectionable here. Have you ever written anything on the internet under the nom de plume, Eric Kane? Just curious. <laughs> <laughs> You've got me. <laughs> I'm oh, like Stephen King, Richard Bachman. Intrigue, intrigue on reanimated podcasts. We're unveiling. <laughs> <laughs> We're unveiling. Uh, I didn't speaking... hear me such intrigue today, but thanks, Stuart, for lining that up. There you go. That's what we're here for is to uh, to drop hot goss. <laughs> um, other hot stuff. H.A. Conrad, you have been breathlessly awaiting the Lockwood & Co. Been. announcement. Tell and us. I... Well, so the full trailer came out and I am really well, first of all, they must have spent an awful lot of money because they have the Clash London Calling used. And I don't know what the rules are, but typically that's a pretty expensive get in terms of like for soundtrack that's like a lot for show but you know i'm a little worried now that i've seen the trailer (laughs) so we'll see what happens um there's parts of it that look okay but the whole idea of this book series is that it's sort of like an alter universe where there isn't like a lot of technology and other things it's supposed to be more like kind of like a steampunk victoria modern london and it doesn't look like that's what they've done here maybe i'm incorrect but um you know, obviously I'm going to watch it, but there's things that they've done with it that I'm a little a little concerned about. Um, and I will say my biggest concern is the skull in the jar because it's supposed to be basically a snarky British dude. Um, and it they've made it into this weird, like blobby, weird thing. And I don't know what it is, um, like more mystical and things than it actually is supposed to be. Um, so anyway, I'm a little worried. But maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I kind of feel like I'm right to be worried. And then as you very uh, astutely pointed out, a lot of the comments were like, oh, great. Another show on Netflix. They'll probably cancel it after a season or after two seasons or whatever they said. So Netflix, what's weird here and not to, to you know, suggest that the news about this Lockwood and Co show coming isn't isn't really great. I think I'm I will watch it. I like ghosts uh, and kids with swords. I think these are great combinations. Um, but Netflix is kind of getting the reputation that Fox and other networks had when Netflix started being this internet blockbuster. 
uh, and saving shows from those networks who were casting them aside, like so much unwanted, uh, you know, chaff. You remember, like Netflix was had a had like a rep for resuscitating shows that fans really wanted to continue, and now they actually have the opposite. Because they've recently canceled uh, Warrior Nun. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's not yeah. bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. It it yeah. It's I'm not shocked that they canceled it though. I mean, I'm not either. But it, still, it's just it's like they've gone full circle. It feels a little bit uh, weird. And uh, clearly, the people on YouTube at least have caught onto this. And I wonder if they're doing any kind of like uh, emergency meetings at Netflix to be like, listen, how have we ended up here or something? You know. Yeah, and I mean, that's the other thing about this show that has worried me and why I was like, "Mm, I don't know, is that they have put off the release of this show several times. Like originally they were supposed to release it over the summer. Then it was uh, supposed to be like Halloween. um, And then they pushed it until and then it was December. And then it's till now. And, and, you know, sometimes that just means they're trying to find like a good window to like drop something in so, so that it gets like the most you know, the best launch it can. But a lot of the times, as you and I have discovered, Stuart, and probably Kyle, you know this already because you're very smart. Um, (laughs) But a lot of the times it means that whatever they're doing, like in post-production, things aren't working. And, you know, sometimes we've seen, especially with sort of the post-COVID world of uh, filmmaking and things like that, especially if there's like like special effects and all that stuff, that sometimes it's taking a little longer, but sometimes it does not bode well. It means something's not working um, that they're trying to like re-edit it or repackage it or do whatever. And so I'm a little I'm a little worried, but I'm gonna watch it certainly and maybe maybe we can talk about it some more. Hopefully I won't be breathlessly disappointed <laughs> by the time I actually watch it. So but the cast looks great. And some of the effects look great. The choreography looks good. I mean it's and it's like, you know, it's Joan Cornish. So like I'm a real fan of of his work. So I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to see what happens here. Indeed, um, maybe uh, it's something the, that Holly the, that Holly and and Bill will actually watch with the steward. I don't know. Oh, there's always that. <laughs> the special effects are looking a little rough. These yeah, these ghosts agreed. are are not great. Um, no, agreed. So that's I have some some real concerns. Anyway, I, I'm not familiar with with Lockwood and Co as a as a franchise, but I did watch. Uh, lock and key also on netflix and i i got them confused and so i was like didn't this already air and and lock and key was extremely bad so um I, i'm hoping very, this is better different. than lock and key <laughs> very very different i mean if i had to sum this up into sort of like the book series is sort of ya and uh i think other people for your for your edification kyle other people who listen to the show know that uh i originally bought this book series for one of my uh for my nephew and I typically read these things ahead of time just because you just and you just don't know. <laughs> you can't just gonna... hand some random thing off. Yeah, I get um, that. And and at the time he was a little probably a little young for it because there's some kind of like scary, scarier things, which, again, it's always hard for me to judge because sometimes kids aren't at all bothered by these things. And maybe it's scarier for me um, than for other people. Uh, I don't know. Uh, so in any case, I, I was like, oh, maybe not for a little bit um but it was really well written and snarky and british and these are all things i love so um and i thought he created a really cool world um so i was excited when they were doing the series but i don't know if it can live up to what the books presented so um, it sounds similar to um artemis fowl which is a book series that i really enjoyed as a yes, as definitely. a child or as yeah, a teenager 
it definitely has that kind of vibe. So it's like a steampunky London, um, almost like teenage Ghostbusters or children Ghostbusters in mm. a like Victorian alternative setting so it's and it's really well written um and so anyway um he also wrote the bartimaeus series which i don't know if you know about but that one is also pretty good so um so big fan of the author but um but we'll have to see if this if this does anything so Um, what was the release date is there one uh in the um, trailer I i thought it was like january it might be this weekend my god i think it's this weekend well, then we'll uh, we'll know soon enough if it was worth the wait. January twenty seventh, yeah, that's coming right up. Oh, and then I have not watched the Mayfair Witches yet. Have you, Stuart? No, no I haven't really had much time. But yeah, uh, I am interested to see that. Kyle, I don't know if you heard our our uh, love letter to Interview with the Vampire. It was kind of unexpected, but we both really liked it. And so yeah. this is this is a, a new franchise on on AMC that we're kind of digging our teeth into. I've been waiting until I can watch the show and then I was going to listen to your episodes as I went along. Cool. We're we're best as a companion show, probably. <laughs> uh, well, okay, then the, the last piece of news that I that I found which <laughs> actually dropped in August, but uh, you know, watching Last of Us, I was like, you know what? This this reminds me narratively of Days Gone, which is another zombie game on PlayStation. Uh, well, it released on PC, I think, last year. And I think we've talked about how I was putting way too many hours into it. And it's like a motorcycle, uh, I don't know, opera set in Oregon with uh, with zombies as a backdrop. And um, that apparently also got picked up for a film adaptation as opposed to a series. Um, and you might remember that The Last of Us, they tried to, uh, Neil Druckmann tried to get it made into a movie and could not figure out how to how to do it and so they ended up with a series um but this one according to deadline in august is going to be made into a film uh written by sheldon turner and uh jamie frazier from outlander uh sam hewen will be in theory playing the lead role of deacon saint john anyway i don't know if you guys have remember that that game uh but it kind of it was it was a good story i would i would watch a show or movie about it, assuming that they could pull it off. Is this well, the one I... with the day-night mechanic? I believe there was a day... Well, no, it, that was the um, that was Dying Light. Oh, okay. But I think there were day-night uh, mechanics in Days Gone also. Mm. Uh, just not as um, terrifying. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I think it's kind of a, a thing to do because um, there's so many things just built in and you kind of had the scaffolding for a story. And then you build it around it. So I think that that's why it's it, as long as you have a good story around it, it should yeah. be fine. And you already have the visuals. So, I, um, yeah. And I, I assume I, they're watching this uh, Last of Us and, and taking notes right. if they haven't already got a complete you know, script. Right. Uh, so we'll have to stay tuned for that. But uh, honestly, lining up sort of the cast that they're lining up, I think some some promising things happening. So we'll have to see. Yeah. How this unfolds. Um, but are you two ready to talk <laughs> about The Last of Us? Am I ever? It's been kind of hard <laughs> to escape news about it lately. Uh, it's it does seem to be the darling of of prestige TV right now. Right. It's I mean, kind of a been... kind of a quiet time for HBO, so they they're really pushing it very hard. 
Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, it's the winter months. This has been, I mean, I saw a real push starting to happen like at Thanksgiving and then it's just been unrelenting, just full of all sorts of trailers and teasers and things like that. Um, that being said, as everybody who listens to this podcast knows, I am a huge Pedro Pascal fan and very, I'm really psyched to see him in this and, and he is not disappointing me at all at this point. So when has uh, Pedro ever disappointed you? Never, never. Even, I'll watch him in anything. <laughs> I mean, Wonder Woman sequel. He was good. The movie was terrible. But, you agreed, know. agreed. He's always, he's always good, no matter what he's in. So, um, But in any case, uh, this, you know, I I was really looking forward to this and a few thoughts. But uh, do you want to jump into the, the cast or do you want to just jump into sort of the cold open? Well, we, I feel like we do need to talk a little bit about who made this. Um, oh, yeah. and, and there are two Definitely. primary names. There's a lot of directors over the course of the series, but this episode is directed by one of the creators, um, Craig Mazin. We have talked oh. about Craig before because we were really impressed by him. Nothing zombie Chernobyl. related. Yeah, he, he wrote he wrote Chernobyl and he um he was in Mythic Quest, and I think he was yep. one of the writers' room in Mythic Quest. Even though it doesn't even appear on his filmography, it's like he's not no. not proud of it. But before that, though, he did a bunch of comedies. Like this, um, this guy has the craziest bio yep. one one eighty of any person mm-hmm. uh, in working in film today. I'm I'm convinced. Like I, I used... until until Chernobyl, you wouldn't have taken him seriously for this show. No, I, <laughs> I remember he he hosted for many years a podcast called Script Notes, um, which it was a podcast about yep. the uh, the art of, of screenwriting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he co-hosted it with this guy, John August, who's kind of a very working man, um, sort of uh, just, you know, day in, day out screenwriter. He, he wrote Big Fish, he wrote uh, like the Charlie's Angels movies, stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, he, oh, he wrote Frank and Weenie, which was kind of like a passion project for him, which I, I always thought was kind of funny, uh, given that it's called Frank and Weenie. Um, and uh, it, it the, for for years, the dynamic between these two was that John was the actual like accomplished screen <laughs> screenwriter, and Greg was this kind of. Kind of, uh, you know, uh, dilettante. Yeah, like, like kind of a, a, almost kind of a joke. Like, sorry, Greg, if you're listening to this, but he he was writing, you know, scary movie five and um, you know, the superhero movie and stuff. It's just like the those uh, endless, you know, parade uh, don't, of don't don't forget the like sequels. I think he was the one, the sequels to the Hangover. Yeah, part two <laughs> and part three. He didn't do the actual the first one, I don't think, but I think no. he did the sequels. So um, that's worse. Yes, yeah. that's worse. Uh, the the worse. first one, at least, was like a a cultural moment or something. So it, it, it and and to see him then do Chernobyl was just absolutely mind boggling. Like it just it did not compute at all. And since then, everyone's like, oh yes, like you know, reputable and respected and proven screenwriter showrunner Greg Mason. It's like, how did this happen? It doesn't make any sense. So he, he more power to him. On uh, the but... board. He was on the board of directors for the Writers Guild of America like 20 years ago. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't even make any sense. Like, but so obviously in some circles he was already respected for I don't know if you have to be respected to be on the board of directors of the Writers Guild of America West, but I assume I would assume so. Or at least he was he was positioning himself to be um, respected, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then if you look at his next projects coming up, it's he's doing a a, a movie adaptation of Borderlands, the video game, which mm-hmm. he's actually writing with that guy he did that podcast with. 
Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and Pirates of the Caribbean six. Well, there you go. <laughs> like, Another it, sequel to throw in there, right? It's a. It's going to be a weird soup going forward, I think, from Craig. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. I think he's also been involved in a lot of things he's not credited for. So that's the other part. And I think that that sometimes happens where, you know, somebody builds a reputation, people like working with them. And his writing is, you know, aside from the, the ones that we're laughing about. But, you know, Chernobyl was a masterpiece. It was really incredible. Um, so I'm I'm all for the fact that he completely kind of turns us all into something else um so i don't know i think he's really exceptional so and good and i mean if you have to grind it out over this many years i think you should get credit for that yeah and i misspoke he's not writing um borderlands with john august i believe he is doing one he's doing the pirates of the caribbean with ted elliott with whom he wrote a magazine about script writing for several ah. years so different right. different stuff however craig mazin he loved this video game. He uh, had just done Chernobyl, I think, and then got to be friendly with Neil Druckmann, who was a creative director on The Last of Us. Uh, they, you know, had like a, a little they were inter introduced to each other by uh, an actor who was doing voice work on The Last of Us 2, I guess. And uh, and then he just started uh, coming around and, and they were breaking the uh, the episodes together because uh, they talked about it on the um, the podcast for this show. they So Neil Druckmann is like the guy who came up with the original story and Craig is the guy who, who they've been working together to like turn it into a TV show. So it's uh, kind of a cool buddy, buddy story just behind this show and behind this episode because then Craig directed it. Yeah, I also should throw out there that, you know, in terms of the filming of this show, I mean, they film it in... Canada um, and it was in Alberta, but it they started filming this in July 2021. And so, you know, tough. Def definitely a tough time to be filming anything. Um, and they finished filming in like summer of 2022, spring of 2022. So that's, you know, I like we all know the things that every production that was like have it, that that was like sort of in in like active uh filming was having a lot of problems at that time and i think you know if you look at the cast and if you look at everybody they lined up for this really just a, a great job and that i mean they did push this off a little bit i think partially because of this and that's part of why it's released now because i thought it was supposed to be released a lot earlier than this i think they had said summer of 2022 originally so um you know yeah, I think it was worth the wait, though, at least based upon the first the first episode. Before we uh, before we dive into it, can I talk about the game a little bit? Because I think there's I think there's some things that I'm going to keep coming back to as we're talking about these episodes that that kind of need a little bit of, of maybe context setting for what what the game is like and, and how it, you know, is similar to the TV show. Yeah, uh, no spoilers, though. No, uh, no, no, no spoilers. Um, it, So. Last of Us is interesting because this game came out in, I think, 2013, and it really was uh, bucking the, the trend at that time, which was much more toward these open world or sandbox style games. So it's like a couple years after Skyrim. Obviously, GTAs had been very popular. Red Dead Redemption was a few years before this. Um, so in the world of like AAA, you know, console gaming, at least like the trend was toward these very like, you know, 
uh, open open style games. I think the technology finally allowed for you to have this big world to just kind of wander around in. And I think what is interesting about those games is that it turns out that there's like this kind of inverse relationship between player choice and uh, narrative strength because the more flexibility you allow the player in terms of either making choices about the game's narrative or in terms of what to do next or how to spend your time, like the less of an emphasis you can have on uh, the story. So you see this really strongly in a game like Skyrim where, um, you know, there's this looming threat the entire game that this ancient dragon's going to come back and essentially wipe out this whole region. Uh, but you spend all of your time however you feel like. And so most players just spend it like, you know, going into random, uh, uh, you, you know, tombs and looting and becoming like a master of a mage college for no reason and and learning how to steal stuff really well and all this kind of other completely unrelated stuff to the main narrative. Um, and so Last of Us is this extremely linear game. Like there, there is no, you can't make any choices about what to do. It, you know, it's not like, oh, do you want to kill this person? Do you not want to kill this person? Uh, you have none of that you can only explore within kind of the narrow confines of each level. So you don't have a lot of, um, you know, it, there's not really a lot to, to do in terms of, uh, of exploration. It's really just kind of like, you know, pretty much where you're going and what direction you're supposed to be headed in at all points in time. And then it has, uh, an, a, a very large number of, uh, extend, extended cutscenes. So, last of us coming into it it's not a game where it's like oh there's kind of a story but really it's more about the vibes which is kind of like maybe more what the um what the days gone adaptation is going to be this is like a, a a really super narratively crafted and uh, and um you know uh honed vision with a very strong authority uh uh, uh author authoritative voice like an an author's voice to it mm -hmm. um to the extent that people actually take this game and uh do like a very kind of bare bones playthrough without a lot of like you know running in, into walls and stuff and then just uh screen cap the whole thing and put it on youtube you can watch they're usually like maybe eight to ten hours of like the last of us movie where it's just cutscenes and then you know quick playthroughs and then cutscenes again. Mm -hmm. um, all of the acting in the game is not just voice acting, but it's actually motion captured as well. So uh, they're very well done and realistic animations to it. So um, it, it is. It was already coming into it almost like a movie with these little playable sections. I remembered when I w was. Uh, thinking back on this, that there's a great line from a random interview or a random review of this show from when it came out. Um, I'm sorry, a random review of the game when it came out uh, that, that reads, it felt to me like a movie occasionally interrupted by my urgent need to move a dumpster around because there's all these like uh, level puzzles where you have to like find a ladder or like move a thing so you can climb up on it and get through a window and that kind of stuff. Um so I think it's fascinating to watch this show with that in mind because there's a lot of stuff in here that's literally not just beat for beat, but but actually like uh, shot for shot recreations of stuff in the video game. So far, they have been 
extremely uh di- uh you know uh, uh hewing close to the original um source material in a way that I'm not sure is sustainable but is incredibly fascinating and I cannot think of another video game adaptation into a movie or TV show that has hewed this closely or that even could be this close to the source material just because of what the source material fundamentally was which was this you know very focused linear experience of a game with such a strong cinematic viewpoint to begin with so i just wanted to throw that out there at the beginning that there's a lot of stuff in here that is like eerily close to the game and i think you know it's it's just a really really fascinating creative choice to to be that loyal to it I don't know, Kyle. I feel like I've heard Oliver Stone is dropping a 100-hour length version of the Skyrim movie coming out pretty soon. <laughs> well, I really hope he focuses on uh, on the part where you go become the head of the thieves guild because that yeah. really has a lot to do with the main, you know, the main storyline. Totally. But they do change one kind of big point of the game, and they do change the timeline a little bit. So visually, I'd agree with you, but. One of the huge pieces of this, which is, you know, the the way that the infection happens, they change that a bit. And they do talk about that a lot, about why they made that decision. Um, so I think that that is, to me, that's a pretty key piece, but I understand why they did it. Um, I'm sorry, did you just say that they changed the way infection happens? Well, because in the game, they did have the way, like, there's like these, uh, like, spores and yeah. something like that that so it was like spread throughout um and instead it's a little a little more static or a little less i mean to me spores are terrifying so i don't know yeah and i'll admit to you when i i did i deliberately did not read i read all this after watching the first episode because i've been trying to generally remain spoiler free and so we can talk about this when we get into sort of the description but there was one specific scene or two specific scenes where i was like oh no you know like what's gonna happen here and then i was like oh okay they're not doing the spores thing Um, it's not yeah i I, uh so i said i played the game and there are spores and in the game equivalent of this first hour of the show there are you do run into spores in the game you have to wear your gas mask and like right if, and they're not doing yeah. that here and, in, and it was giving me a lot of stress that people weren't doing that so <laughs> okay. i assume um, they just didn't want to have these guys constantly throwing on and taking off gas masks probably all the time. and i mean i think that's part of why this pedro is. probably has that in his rider now like no masks well i know I, all i could think was you know he's like i definitely do not want to do like a mandalorian like reach. yeah like like they'd hear. So he had his face covered for so much of that other series. So there was that. And then the timeline piece was was kind of interesting to me, just like that they basically jumped the sort of initial um like scene. Like it's probably like a decade off, right? Is that what because I think that the future piece in the game is supposed to be like twenty thirty three and instead they make it twenty twenty three and oh. all that. So yeah, I, I didn't yeah. uh I didn't get a lock on when the sh- when the game began with its cold open or its uh, yeah prologue. the game was 2013 and then the post apocalyptic part was 2033. Yeah, so okay. they 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 cranked it earlier by ten years. Yeah, in they each just case. they just yeah. shifted it a little bit. And they've added. I mean, because the video game has these like prolonged combat sequences, like the finding Robert is like half an hour of fighting all these goons yeah. and um, getting out of. 
getting away from Fedra at the end of the episode is also like a fairly, for me anyway, it took a while of like going through all these tunnels and dodging patrols. Um, and they, by comparison, managed to do it in like, I don't know, 10 minutes in the in the show. So they, they do have to like trade off some stuff that works better as a video game uh, in favor of things that are going to work narratively a little bit better. And so they added this uh they've added a whole section at the beginning of the show uh so at the beginning of this episode it's 1968 and it's a dick cavett style talk show with two scientists maybe two epidemiologists and um a host and just these three actors right off the bat i was like this is awesome uh we've got big head from silicon valley is the host john (laughs) brenner uh and then you've got uh john han sorry josh brenner john hanna uh, from what the mummy from everything oh, he's, from, he's from four weddings and the funeral oh, yeah. and uh sliding, sliding doors, doors. the Classics. mummy i love him so much and uh it was so and good to christopher heyerdahl also who is a terrifying uh he has played terrifying characters yes. i should yes, say he has. <laughs> uh, hell on wheels I, I cannot not think of him when i or yeah not think of that show when i see him because he was just a very scary swedish uh fan of arithmetic and murder um on that show so these three guys they're just like throwaway appearances but they they set the tension scene so well because john Hanna as uh dr newman goes kind of on a little bit of a rant about fungi uh and how terrifying they are and then the um, i think the, the the way that they framed this scene and shot the members of the audience kind of sitting there motionless staring almost like they were zombie i don't know but it it, it sets up a real vibe to go into the show with well it's also interesting because the whole sort of theme of this talk show is talking one of the scientists is talking about how terrified he is of a pandemic and they're going into that and you know obviously we all have our own thoughts about pandemics now so there is that part and then uh dr newman who is played by john hannah says oh well that's not what scares me you know fungi scares me and then goes into an even more terrifying (laughs) hypothesis um and what he is describing is the basically the cordyceps uh fungi that we saw in girl with all the gifts um the fungi that takes over ants and basically kind of keeps them alive so it can spread itself and will like do really crazy things and has control of the body and they call it the zombie fungus a lot and basically gives a horrifying scenario where that could happen to humans. Um, And the thing that he specifically kind of locks into is the fact that, yeah, right now they can't survive if in temperatures over 92 92 degrees. So obviously humans are not good hosts. But he was like, imagine if the world shifts its temperature a little bit. And so they adapt. And then you're not you're not talking about a hypothesis anymore. And so um really well shot scene i also thought um just from just right off the bat the cinematography uh is beautiful it looks gorgeous and they set the tone this is supposed to be 1968 uh the set looks exactly like that kind of that kind of talk show um so really the you already kind of you can see the production value right away um so and i thought a good job at just setting the table for the world we're about to get into um so Su- that was... super super elegant way to do like a essentially a, a plot information dump because yep. yep. it, it lets them do that first part the the whole first sequence without having to do any real um 
explanation. You don't have to have that like, you know, newscaster. They're saying that they want to seek out human flesh or anything like that because you have you already have the seeds of the plot um, or, or of the setup kind of pre, uh, you know, preloaded in your mind from this little thing. So I, I thought it was a really well done little sequence. Yeah, the audience these days is a little more savvy to these sorts of things. And, and we've been watching those news clips and hearing them on the radio for decades. And so they 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 definitely nod to them in the next section, uh, the prologue section of the 2003 section of the of the episode. Mm-hmm. But you you can have a much more subtle hand. Um, and so, yeah, this that that section really does the, the first um, cold open really does help there do you guys uh did you admire the title credits as much as i did i thought they were really oh yeah and they're beautiful uh like cities and, and roads and then little people all made out of um well cg mushrooms or fungus mm-hmm. but still it was cool yeah yeah it looked it looked really good um it, hbo uh, just like can knock out an amazing title sequence mm-hmm. like no problem it's it's ridiculous yeah uh, pretty pretty great so then we go to 2003 and this is the section, 2003 is the section of this episode, as Kyle described, which is basically shot for shot. And a lot of the dialogue is ripped directly from, uh, and there's there's some of that in the next section too, the 2023, but it's this is the section where they almost 100% go for the game. <laughs> uh, you can do a screen, I mean, there are screen side-by-side comparisons already on the internet, you don't have to go far to find them. Uh, this is the part of the game that as the game player, you play as Sarah, Um who in this show is played by Nico Parker, who's English, uh, and that always blows my mind. It's never going to stop. So sorry. And she's uh, she is uh, Tandy. Uh, no. Yeah, she's Tandy Newton. Newton. Wow. Now that you say it, the resemblance is uncanny. Very uncanny. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Huh. Um, wow. And she was in. I mean, she's been in a few different things. Uh, Nico has. Um, I think she made her debut in Dumbo. Um, and so but she's been in other things since then um i think she was in another hbo thing and i can't remember what it was uh it's gonna escape me it was with jude law Mm. all right i cannot remember but she's been in a few things already and but i felt like she was perfectly cast for this and just a quick word about the casting we're already naming all these kind of heavy hitters some of whom are just in it for like a short amount of time but her yep. role um is just a key key role and i think she did an incredible job and with the casting um, apparently they had to do all of it over zoom um so it wasn't really possible even to see that interaction um but i really thought that her interaction with Pedro Pascal was excellent. Like you buy everything about these characters and it does a really good job at setting up that relationship and what we know. And we know a lot more about Sarah, um, especially in these early scenes. So, yeah. And they do add some scenes for her uh, because in the game, she basically wakes up when he comes home from work after that double. So Mm -hmm. all of that, like her going to school, going to the watch store, all of that is new for the show and it's great. Uh, and it, if you didn't, and if you didn't know anything about the game, you would be very a little bit like fooled that the series is going to be about her, um, because well, she's very much the central role at this part. In yeah, this but she hasn't been on any of the posters, right? So I know, but I'm just saying <laughs> for those people that may not come on, play with me here, play with me here. But it's We're... like the the Negan and Maggie show. Yes, Where's yes, Negan's yes. wife? Where is she? She's not on yeah, any of exactly. the art. But uh, but <laughs> it you know, but for those of 
those of us who did know or do know, and probably most people watching this would know, um, it's already heartbreaking because she really makes you like her. Um, she is a really likable character. Uh, she t shows you who she is right away. Um, so I thought that that was just an excellent cast decision here. It, the the opening sequence uh, of the game is kind of a classic because it drops you into the role of Sarah. You, you, you have no introduction. There's no like, you know, here's how you move. Here's what buttons you push, nothing like that. And you have no weapons and you have no, uh, no heads up display. So no health bar or anything like that. And you literally just have to kind of explore and figure out what's going on while you can hear all this unsettling stuff happening outside. And so when the climax of this scene happens, you're basically coming at it from the perspective of having been, uh, you know, in inhabiting this person, playing as this person, having that person be your whole viewpoint. And so they did a really good job recreating that here by keeping the the filmmaking firmly focused on her viewpoint as well during this whole opening sequence and really kind of making you become invested in her little day-to-day -day things you kind of wonder what she's doing like taking the money like is she stealing from her dad but then she's actually using that money to to fix his watch like there's all these little kind of like um day-to-day -day things about how she lives her life and and their relationship and and their existence and stuff like that that are really well done and, and well honed um, during that sequence. So um, the kind of reluctant relationship that she has with the neighbors where she like goes over and keeps some company, but also like doesn't really love it. <laughs> kind of wishes that but she could also, do something else. But it's also the whole interaction between her and her dad, where they're both basically selling each other out to the neighbors mm -hmm. because both of them feel uncomfortable around the neighbors. And yes. so, <laughs> so, you know, you get the neighbors offering them these biscuits and, and uh, Joel is like, yeah, I just went on the, the Atkins diet <laughs> and then sells her out and is like, oh, you, she, she'll go over and spend all as long as you want with her, you know? And so that was, I thought, again, in this very tiny little scene, you, it reveals so much and yeah. their rapport with each other and their trust with each other in the scene is excellent. So just a really, a really good job. I mean, you know exactly how they feel when they're interacting with the neighbors, um, who but they're are, still kind. They're still like Nico. Sorry, um, Sarah is still kind and is still yeah, like no, they're kind. Happy to the, go over ish. It's, it's that awkward thing where it's like they're very nice, but yeah. maybe that's not exactly what she'd like to do. Yeah. And you know, it, you know, so there's that whole awkwardness. But they're both, you know, they're they're nice people and they're nice and to their neighbors. So there's you can that. contrast this by yeah, you can contrast this by the first time you meet Mr. Adler in the game, he's already a zombie. Like, so you get all this kind of background, like he's just a nice guy who's being a nice neighbor, even though maybe you don't want to hang out with him and his mother or whoever's mother that is. Yeah. Uh, we also had the scene of when she's taking the money out of um, uh, Joel's drawer, she picks up this knife, this pocket knife with horses engraved on the blade. And she kind of takes a moment and touches it and then puts it back. And that blade still from that shot made it into this post on Twitter that uh, HBO Max did that I brought up to uh, H.A. and Kyle just before we started recording because they they put up a post with these four stills and they say, look closer. 
One of them is of Grandma Adler in her wheelchair looking out the window. One of them is of that knife. And then there's two more. As we go through the show, we can we can address them. But I and and in the in the podcast that goes uh, that HBO has released with this show, Craig Mazin said that they'd put all these like breadcrumbs in uh, the things that will pay off later. So I think that uh, that will be quite interesting to uh, to see as we go forward. One other thing, I can't remember where I read this, if this is like an official like uh, thing that you're supposed to be reading into it or if this is like a fan theory, but um, something I've read talked about how uh, the cordyceps infection may have come from a contaminated batch of flour. And that's why they don't get oh. it because uh, he he refuses the biscuits and later Sarah doesn't eat some cookies that she's offered by the Adlers. Right. Indeed, they are raisin cookies. Like she asked, hopefully, if they're going to be chocolate chip. And no, they're raisin cookies. Yeah. So, hmm. so may- maybe uh, Joel's Atkins diet, uh, real or, or excuse, or uh, <laughs> saved him from He also from doesn't bring infected. home birthday cake later, too. So another way to avoid it. So Oh, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I've seen that flower being thrown around, too, and I had not put, made that connection. That's interesting. It's possible. Uh, so... When we when we catch up to where the game begins, the night that Sarah has gone home, although we've already had like a pretty disturbing scene when she's picking out that DVD and grandma is in the background out of focus. That was very unsettling. Okay. So that was the part where I was like, oh, God, God is, is there going to be spores here? <laughs> and I didn't know, you know, so I was really like, you know, just her even being in the house. I was kind of feeling I wasn't sure if they were going to do something differently with her character, but. I just kept getting stressed out about it. And, you know, there's also the dog element where, you know, the dog is definitely not excited to be in the house near grandma. So yeah. I thought I thought either the dog was going to get infected. I don't know. I was just waiting for some spores that just never happened. But that was very. And also, she's all out of focus when she's spazzing out like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And then but luckily, out. Sarah gets out of the house. I think it must it must be hours later before anything really kicks off though uh, even in the adler home because it's 2 a.m the next time she goes over there right and it's uh that's when things have really gone off the rails versus what whatever time it was it was 3 14 when she's in the uh, the clock shop um, which if you're interested in what the lebanese uh lady was saying to her husband in the watch shop it was like i just got off the phone with my sister and she says something is crazy something crazy is going on so there's, she doesn't actually have a lot of information, in, in case you were curious. Thank you, Reddit, for translating the Arabic. <laughs> I thought she would have a little more information than that. I also looked it up, and I thought <laughs> it was saying something a little bit more intense, but no. It doesn't take a lot. No. Um... So the 2 a.m. wake up, uh, like, you know, what's his name? Joel has come home from his long shift. It's 10 p.m. They watch, they start to watch a movie together. She falls asleep. He puts her to bed. Bobby, Tommy calls Bobby, Tommy calls. And um, it's like, I've been, I've been arrested and I'm in jail in Travis County jail, which is just outside of Austin. So that gives you like your location. We, we kind of knew they were Texans already. Well, at least they talk about being Texan later. Right. Yep. In the the game, Tess refers to him as Tex, I think. Isn't that right, Kyle? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it does. Um, so they're in they're in Austin or maybe they're outside of Austin because they also talk about going into the city. Right. And maybe that's how Grandma Adler got infected. So they're somewhere in the suburbs, perhaps. Right. Austin right. when it was still cool. 
And I think it kind of has to be that because, again, they're filming up in Canada. And that is one thing I will say, having, you know, it, it doesn't feel like Austin, um, but feels enough like it that you can kind of make that work. Um, and then we'll talk about the next location in a in a moment. But um, but yeah, they don't it gives you a pretty generic setting, um, just normal suburbia in terms of the houses and things like that. It could be any neighborhood. It's a little bit like Black Summer in that way, right? Yeah, well, Not. because it's, <laughs> it's filmed in the same neighborhood, even potentially, right. potentially, yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of glass at the Miller House, um, and and we should also mention who's playing Tommy is uh, Gabrielle Luna, who was a ghostwriter in Marvel Marvel Agents of Shield and has had a bunch of other parts, but um, this was a race swap for these two. Uh, they're kind of just like nondescript American uh, white Caucasian men. In the game, uh, they were they are now two Latino men, same names, Joel and Tommy Miller, um, wife of Pedro or uh, Sarah's mom, unknown in the game and in the show. Mm-hmm. Although uh, Ellie also, I'm sorry, uh, Sarah also um, was quite quite pale <laughs> in the video blonde. game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, none of this uh, had any had any material impact on on anything. I just thought it was an interesting set of choices. Yeah, and, Gabriel I mean, Luna is a perfect um, Tommy, in my opinion. He's uh-huh. in what we've seen of him so far. He's really yeah. inhabiting the role very well. well that's cool. Um, yeah, it, it makes zero difference to me. Not that I know the the storyline, but why not? You know, why not make this family? Uh, you know, it has zero impact, like you said. Um, so, in one of those things that like sets off my parental alarm bells, she's, I don't know. I remember how old Sarah is 14 ish. Ellie is supposed to be 14. Sarah could be around the same age. Uh, he, he leaves the house and drives off to go bail Tommy out of jail and leaves his daughter at home alone, which having just also finished uh, Fleischman's in trouble, he keeps doing that for his kids and they are younger, like going out on a date or something while his kids are at home asleep and it, nobody's there except for the kids and it just freaks me out to think of parents doing that but i know that it happens well you know it it's not anything that it's i think it's a little bit more unusual now but you know as a gen xer we were definitely latchkey kids and probably or at least i was um (laughs) was definitely left me and my siblings were left to our own devices quite a bit um you know a little slightly different but it's clear that this is something that just by necessity has to happen because he works late and she's quite independent i mean she's going off to to random watch stores to get things fixed right that's um, true she is and independent then, and she's, then, she's meant to be 12 at least her character in the game is meant to be 12 okay. i don't i don't think I, I don't think i was staying by myself overnight anywhere till I was maybe more like 16. So it struck me as a little, it, it freaked me out too, Stuart. Without but a single adult nearby. I mean, yeah. maybe the Adler. I mean, especially that's... while sleeping, like, you know, yeah. sleeping is like a different form of, you know, there, there could be fire, stuff happens while you're sleeping. Well, it does, but I mean, I don't think he would have left the house if his brother hadn't been in trouble. No, and clearly think... there was a good reason for him to go. Maybe take her with you. I don't know. Yeah. Well, but, <laughs> um, but, to the jail. <laughs> but I think it's something that, you know, again, it's and part of why you know that he's used to doing it is he comes home late and then he comments on the fact that she's actually locked the door. Yeah. So she's home alone quite a bit, I would suspect. And that's just, 
you know, he's not going to wake her up and take her with him in this scenario. But, you know, and we all know it's going to happen. But if they're sort of going along their normal lives, um, well, well, it speaks, I it speaks with- to the insight of, of this character of Sarah that she is starting to she's noticing that things aren't right. You know, so that's well, I tend to agree to. with both of you. You know, I do remember like when my mom would work night shifts and things like that, we would not have like an adult after a certain point and probably as young as 12. Um, and we again, it was more of a hey, we had the neighbors that if anything happened, we could call them and things like that, but we didn't necessarily always have an adult there. So, the ratcheting up the tension in this scene, not not to uh, undermine your the ratcheting up of the tension of your childhood, HA. Um, no, no, all good. <laughs> uh, ratcheting up the tension of the scene, the in the game she doesn't know where her dad is, but and he could be out getting Tommy from the county jail. But he's actually he turns out to be home. He's just like out in the backyard. It's not really clear what he was doing outside in the backyard, uh, potentially fighting with the zombie neighbor. But he comes back in very quickly. In this, in the show, the, he we don't even know. Like he could be miles away. Uh, the you know they show up kind of in the nick of time sort of scenario, but. She is basically just out in the streets trying to get Mercy, the dog, back to the Adler's house and then walks in. Um, okay, can, can we talk about this part too, by I mean, the way? This is not maybe showing the best insight or or, or awareness, like, right? If a dog is acting like that, probably a good idea to not go in further. And then say you see a lot of blood on the floor. <laughs> like, I, like I don't know. Maybe, maybe time to go home and call someone. I like. I just don't think <laughs> a normal person would continue moving into the house. That's just my own point of view. But you know, Mercy the dog knows what's what. I mean, Mercy the dog does does know what's what. Can and then gets away from from Sarah. She's trying to take her into the house. Uh, this is that part of the horror trope where, you know, everybody's yelling at the screen, like, don't open that door. Don't go into that kitchen. Don't approach the bleeding man. It's exactly uh, that's the normal thing. But they do yeah. it anyway. Luckily, these zombies, because we meet then Grandma Adler with the, with the weird mushroom tendrils coming out of her mouth. Very great effect. Uh, she is fast but uncoordinated. And we see that again later in this uh, sequence or later in the sequence when during the restaurant run through, which is another kind of terrifying scene. Um, Like, so running full tilt, but like then checking themselves off of door frames and sprawling out, which is the only reason why Sarah survives this, uh, this Mm -hmm. scenario. Right. Uh, And and again, I was having just to, you know, I was having like, adrenaline rush because i'm like spores 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 like <laughs> so the grandmother and then later i'm like oh okay um i understood it more after we get to the future but uh figuring that that wasn't a thing but here i was still like and and she, sarah even comments later she's like how do we know we're not infected um but anyway yeah i think i like how they did the choreography though for the infected at this point like they have how would you describe it Stuart and Kyle I think it's almost the we've seen it a little bit before but it's almost like the um like muscle spasming and things like that like not it's fast but almost like it looks very painful in the way that they have them moving it does yeah and like and you see some there's some nice little like hints dropped earlier too like when she's in school there's like a kid who's like twitching yeah mm-hmm. and the way that he's twitching is very much like the way that the um that the zombies are going to twitch later so it it doesn't it doesn't look like a nice thing to be infected i think they're like driven half mad by by pain as well as anything else mm-hmm. and then the the um 
uh, Nana runs outside while she's chasing her, and, and uh, that's when Joel drives up and, you know, he's kind of like, get in the truck. And then it, this cracked me up because uh, there are a couple of very classic melee weapons that you can use in the game, most notably uh, pipes and baseball bats. And then mm-hmm. they, they, I, I feel like very consciously rejected that here and had him use a big uh, wrench to to smack her in the face with when she ran up and, and tried to zombify them on the on the front lawn. So I, I just thought it was funny. They were like, uh, you know what, we could we could make a really, you know, uh, a really classic callback here. But instead, we're going to give them something else to maybe this is where they're showing that they're taking a different path. Yeah. Contrasting. Speaking of different paths, contrasting here with the game uh mr adler breaks into their house he shoots mr adler with his revolver um getting blood all over him and sarah she's kind of freaking out they get they run outside and tommy pulls up in a truck because he's been calling and trying to get in touch so it's a very slightly very different i mean i don't know if tommy going to jail changes anything in your mind kyle about his character for the game later or not no i think it's implied that he's there because he got into a fight with someone with a infection because he's he says something to joel like oh this crazy guy attacked me at the bar or something so it seemed seemed but it also didn't sound like it was the first time (laughs) that's true (laughs) uh so i don't i don't know like that does feel like new for the show um but instead so now they there's a cool little sequence here that is not in the game but then it goes straight back into the game sequences where they are like driving out of the cul-de-sac and uh joel is yelling at his neighbor denise get back inside lock the doors you know like kind of miss the adlers are coming out they've reanimated it's been I don't know how much time since they got bitten, but we know from later in the QZ that it only takes five minutes if it's on the neck, I think. Uh, So they even give us that. I love that kind of information. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're already coming outside as zombies and he kind of runs them over a little bit. Not not like over them, but bumps them and knocks them down. And you hear Denise in the background yell, Jesus Christ, Joel. And then you see her. And this is from the game. Sarah can look. Sarah's looking out of the, the truck and that's the. That's like a major part of this part of part of the game is where you're just kind of like moving your eyes around the back of their truck and looking out the windows at what's going on around. It's a it's um, a long sequence, like probably like a like an eight minute sequence in the game. Yeah. Where the only thing that you can do is just like look left, look right, <laughs> look and in look, the back. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's very simple, like the, that big farm that's on fire straight out of the games, the them coming up to a T intersection with police cars driving to the left and saying, take 71. Yes, yeah, 71 straight out of the. It's insane. Yeah. H.A., if, if anything, you need to just watch the those videos that are on YouTube of that part of the game because okay. you'll, it'll blow your mind um, how much is the, exactly the same. They do some different sort of uh, choreography as far as how the car gets to the town um there's a little there's a slight difference there but it's basically the same i would say the game actually does something a little cooler where while they're stuck in a traffic jam suddenly a bunch of zombies come out of a hospital and start tearing into people in their cars they don't show us that in the show um i don't know why like they're trying to maybe show us fewer zombies potentially well, it could uh, but, be, and also that could have yeah. that could have again because of when they had to film it and start to film it i you know like i'm sure they had to do what they had to do on a lot of the sets and even what we saw with walking dead with the COVID protocols. So maybe yeah, but they- I know, I know what you're getting at, like, which is fewer people on screen, but then take us into the town and yeah. that movie theater yep. uh, segment where there's like, I don't know, dozens and dozens of people running out sure, of that, sure. going through the, bl- uh, the, the glass went doors and windows and then into the streets. Cause that is a very crowded se- uh, scene. It is. It is. So, um, but it's outside, but yeah, still that I thought that was an uh, amazing sequence. 
um, where they're just like, go forward, go through them. I can't go through them. Go backwards, go forwards. There's a plane crashing, like super cool. All of this. Like I was oh, just on the edge amazing. of my seat. It looked amazing. And the tension in the car and the fear um, and the horror, because it's like, you know, when you're saying drive through people at this point, the only information that they have seen is what happened to the old woman. And, you know, Sarah is completely horrified by the death of her, even though she was obviously scared of her. And it's definitely confusing and probably a lot of conflicting feelings and just absolute adrenaline rush trying to get away but not fully understanding what's going on. So, well, and and you get some of that a little earlier in this sequence too, when they pass the folks on this on the yep. side of the highway, and they're oh, like, yeah. "Oh, they have kids," and and Joel's like, "We have a kid too. Keep going. It, Somebody it, else will do it." And so, you see a lot of the decisions and the conflict behind those decisions. Uh, you also, Sarah's definitely like, "What? What are you doing, Dad?" And and doesn't fully maybe doesn't fully agree with him and you get that sense and you got it also the horror that she felt when he, when he killed uh, Mrs. or grandma Adler or whatever she was. But um, you you get the sense that, that Joel has the kind of like mercenary nature that you need to survive this kind of thing. And, and that Sarah probably does not. Right. Right. Um, And then, you know, and they're even discussing in the, in the truck, whether they're infected, how they're infected, that it's coming from the city. Adler's went into the city a lot because of grandma. So maybe that's how they got it. And so, there's also a lot of um, slight amount of wishful thinking because thus far they don't know that much about what's happening, but they're hopeful that they don't have it or they just feel like they need to believe that they don't have it. Because what would that mean since Sarah just spent like the whole day with the Adler? So they're also, while they're being realistic in some ways, they're also putting the blinders on in other ways, um, at least as far as we know here. And so. Well, um, sounds kind of familiar given COVID also, right? Like, well, how do you I, get it? What do you have to do? I think it was a quite deliberate yeah. scene and it's meant to hit those notes, right? Yeah. And it's, although the game had some of that, I think some of a little bit parts of it were added, um, but not that much. Like it was kind of already there, that sort of paranoia. Um, the, the scene of Joel carrying Sarah through the alley and then through like to that <laughs> patch of zombies and then through the restaurant, way scarier in the show. In the game, you can hear them behind you, but you don't have to. I don't know, Kyle, if you've played that recently, like, did you stop and look around to see what was coming behind you or not? If I remember right, they do sometimes like come and and grab you and then you kind of like have to like mash a button to like push them back off of you or something like that, um, okay. which always seemed a little uh, hokey to me because I was like, oh, these zombies aren't that scary. If you can just like push them away with your forearm yeah, and then uh, continue on through. So I definitely think that the one... um you know, really intense zombie chasing them through yep. the diner is is well. They even set it up tense. in a horrifying way, like when that zombie he's like feeding on some people, and then he catches like the movement and sees them, and the way that he hones mm-hmm. in on them is horrifying. And then backlit by those headlights, and yeah, yep. it's a really nice yeah, setup. and it's really and just the way he turns his head, and then with the chase and his he's having muscle spasms, so. Even again, similar to Grandma Adler, even though he's very fast, he can't really control his body. So there's like these muscle spasms that are happening all over the place on his body, but and really powerfully. And a lot of the time he's not even in focus. So you're kind of just seeing like these moments with him. And it's almost more horrifying (laughs) the way that they have filmed this. Um, And, I, you know, I thought I was really stressed out by this. 
and unfortunately watched it right before I had to go to bed. So I had some really cool dreams about chasing. I'm sure he did. <laughs> but um, and that's not even the the worst thing that happens, clearly, no. because uh, then we meet uh, a young soldier who is ordered who saves to them uh, initially from well, the zombie. Yeah. So clearly he gets he gets different orders once he calls it in. Um, and this is the great tragedy. One of the great tragedies of Joel Miller's life where Sarah I, I is, think it is the pinnacle great tragedy, though, in this scenario. I mean, who knows? It, he's, he's got lots of story left. But this specifically sets up his whole relationship yeah. Yeah. down the line. Totally. It's, gonna, it's definitely going to set up a lot of, of what we have in front of us. Um, Sarah doesn't make it. Um, Tommy saves them, saves Joel anyway, uh, in both cases uh, in the game. And it's like, this is again, like shot for shot, pretty much the same. Uh, and that ends the second sequence of the show. And we then jump forward 20 years. And I do wonder if 20 years was the right number. And I know some people have commented and said like 20 years is enough time for like things to be established and new things to grow. And, and you know, when you get into the future, you've got this uh, analog for FEMA, Fedra, and you've got the fireflies fully established. Mm. But 50 years, oh, sorry, 20 years. 20, I think from, it's 25, no? 20, Maybe. it's just 20. When you go from Pedro Pascal saying he's 36, where I'm like, <clears throat> bullshit, you know, nothing. Yeah. I don't, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but then he also doesn't look 56. Like, No, he's one of those a, people, though. So you I never know how old he actually is. Maybe, maybe so. But I just feel like it could have been 10. And okay, then, but before it, we jump to this, I just have to say the death of Sarah is heartbreaking yeah. and awful and bloody. And like she's shot in the belly, which is one of the most painful things that apparently can happen. And really, it's it's a, the way the scene is so horrific. And so it's like and it's delivered, I suspect, like they they cut so quickly from that um, and her death to the next segment. So it's really, again, I think a, an excellent editing and storytelling mechanism that they do here. I also think it's, it they spent the perfect amount of time here. Yep. Like, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the stuff they added in. And I think it's probably, I, I was looking at the timing. I think this opening sequence in the show is about 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And in the game, I think you could probably get through it in like 15 or something like that. Like it's 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 a little bit quicker and it doesn't have the the added scenes. But at the same time, I can imagine that there could have been a strong impulse to try and make this sequence the entire first episode. Um, just because it just is a natural, you know, demarcation point between those two things and ending your first episode with this scene without having any you know just and then just you know created by craig mason flashes on screen mm -hmm. like i think it would have been such a gut punch and given you if you were a new viewer would have given you so little um idea of where they were heading next that i think it was really smart of them to uh to to have a substantial amount of of world building and plot kind of on the other side of of that um well, sequence, and I, so. I think they were supposed to actually this. I think these. Yeah, this, this is two, two episodes, episodes combined right? into one. Yeah, that was oh, and that was Craig and Neil's like their, that was their initial pitch. It was the HBO executives. You don't hear this very often who said, no, let's combine what you have as your one and two and, hmm. uh, and do it as your one. Yeah, uh, it wasn't going to end it, right here. It was going to end after you see uh, Joel dumping the body of the kid into the fire. 
Oh, Jesus. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, that's back that's, to back dead back kids. Back. Yeah. <laughs> and that was their argument. They were like, guys, I don't think anybody's going to come back for episode two. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then that's, you know, and we get into this this new world that they're in in Boston. And again, doesn't feel like Boston to me, but, you know, it, I guess it could <laughs> really run down Boston. I mean the the it's a CG version of Boston the, yeah, from a distance. Yeah. The kid is is new for this um for the show the kid like walking in you're not sure what the story is. There's a, a pretty incredible scene here with when he's getting like processed in his intake yeah. And uh it's one it's there's two scenes like this in this section of the show which I thought were both really cool. Yeah. where you don't understand the implications of the scene until a little bit later and it, it doesn't it's like a nice way of not treating the audience like they're dummies uh and in, in this case it's this woman saying what if i told you you know if I, we're going to give you a little medicine then you can have any food and all the toys etc cetera, etc cetera. uh and the kid who is nonverbal does at least look happy and you're like oh he's going to get all the toys and all the food and then you know cut forward five minutes and his his shoes uh are there and joel's just dumping him you know well and they do that again this is the part where I was like, aren't, why aren't they wearing gas masks? And I was like, okay, so I guess there's no spores at this point because now it's 20 plus 20 years later and they know what's going on. You have all the signs and, you know, you can glean a lot of what they've discovered and they have specific symptoms they're looking for. These people are clearly seasoned in doing this. And so it's like you're learning a lot just in this scene about what 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 are the protocols for bringing somebody into this quarantine community and so um and the little monitor goes red um and then of course as we figure out later that's not a good thing not a good thing <laughs> so the um, the intake again, soldiers the the woman who's who's talking to the kid her compassion is really horrifying in a way mm -hmm. like it's much more horrifying than if they just scanned and then we're like ah, and then you just yep. they i could imagine they're just a cut there to the shoes coming in or you know a gunshot or something like that but um you know the way that she that she really does try to sit with the kid in the last seconds there is, yep. is really sad yep yeah well, it's, um, it's heavy um what what doesn't really jive here is in okay not to keep saying in the game but i'm gonna say it in the game um, I mean, that's kind, of... that's that's kind of one of the things I was saying at the beginning, though, is that they're inviting these comparisons that, like yeah. by by being so, you know, kind of close to the game, they're making this kind of thing inevitable. Sorry to interrupt you, Stuart, but like no, you're right. Yeah, we, we, we meet up with Joel kind of when he's waiting for Tess uh, or he's in the house kind of like uh, and Tess comes back from her next scene where we meet Tess. So in this, uh, he he's at this like terrible job. And then he's going to ask a Fedra guy about another terrible job with with cleaning up feces. I think the next day, um, in the game, he is a smuggler. He doesn't seem to have a shortage of resources. And even in these few sequences we see with him now, like he has enough juice to skip the radio line. He's selling drugs to the Fedra guard. Those are new for the not in the game uh, sequences. Um, it's kind of a weird juxtaposition to have him getting in line for these like menial jobs but also being a, a member of the um black market did you feel any kind of weirdness with that or no i didn't because i felt like he's doing these things in some ways to keep busy in some ways to gather information and i think at this point he's doing basically everything he can because he knows he's going to mount a rescue to go and find his brother his brother's missing uh which we figure out a little bit later um 
I think he just has his hands in everything and is willing to do things as horrible as putting dead bodies into the fire, like just to get the cash and, and resources he needs. So I didn't find it jarring, um, but I think that they're trying to build a, a picture of him at and, this point. It's cover too. You yeah. know, they, they build a pretty strong, uh, you know, image here of Fedra as this kind of, you know, mm-hmm. authoritarian government that's really cracking down on, on anybody who doesn't seem to be doing these kind of things. So I can understand why he has to appear to be, a normal member of society in that way. Right. And even when he's doing the drug, like like making the sort of connections, he's trying to build a, you know, view of himself or a view for others to see him as. So, oh, hey, I'm willing to take anything. And he takes the, the literally shitty job. Um, so I think that that's, that's about right. So. Um, yeah. Okay. That, that, that's, that works for me too. Um, this is, uh, we then, Kind of after him selling drugs, Hydra, Hydra something to uh, the Federal Guard. He's looking for a truck. He's looking for Tommy, as you've mentioned. He gets a map and he wants to um, go to Wyoming to find Tommy. This is not information we have in the game. Uh, he, then we are introduced to Tess and Robert. And then this is another, this is the second scene in this episode or this part of the episode where, again, you don't really know what's happening for a little while. It takes a few beats because at first it's like Robert seems to be the one in the hot seat. And in mm-hmm. fact, throughout this season, this sequence, Tess has the upper hand in this negotiation, even though she is the one who is there against her will and has been beaten up. And Robert has, seems to have all the cards. It's a really interesting setup, I think. Uh, yeah, and you get more of it as it goes on. And Anna Torv is awesome. Again, is is it just, you know, with Fringe and whatever, she just really likes Boston shows, I guess. Or she or is shows. incredible. I am so excited for her to She's be on really the show. Great. What's weird is that the woman who <laughs> plays... <laughs> Sorry. What? Sorry. No, I, I'm not laughing for any reason. She's not She's not incredible? No, but... No, I was, I was going to go into... I was going to make a spoilery comment, but I, I stopped myself. Oh well, yeah. Don't don't tell me if she does. I don't want to know. But I, I mean, she was. I was glad to see her Mind Hunter. Glad to see her more stuff now. Anyway, yeah. she was so good on Mind Hunter. I haven't, I haven't watched Fringe, but she was so good on Mind Hunter. Oh, Another I mean, show Fringe, that Netflix canceled. Fringe was actually <laughs> like there's some there's some rough p- patches, but overall she's always phenomenal in it. So, um, and it's got a great cast. So it's it's a guilty pleasure, I'll admit to some extent. But yeah. Anyway, I've seen one person talking about how they wanted the woman who voiced Tess in the games to have played her. She is like 46. Her name's Annie Wershing. Mm -hmm. uh, And she is a film. She's a screen actor as well as a voiceover actor. And and so I don't know if that would have worked. The um, woman who plays Marlene is the same in in the film or in this show in the game. Yeah, I, I, she said that she showed up to like audition for it. I wasn't clear if she'd gotten the job. She, yeah, she was. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Cool. So, um, uh, yeah. This is uh, there is something here that I'm a little bit worried about as we go a little further into the um, show, and I'll be really fascinated to see how they handle this in the upcoming episodes. The narrative here is uh, it gets a little bit video gamey in terms of it's like okay, we want to go like you know, rescue 
Tommy. So first we're going to need a car battery. So go here and fight these guys and get the car battery. Oh no, the car battery is not there. Go here and fight these guys and get the car battery. Okay, we need a map. Go here, fight these guys and get the car battery. Okay, now your next job is to go to this other place. Like it, there's a little bit of a fetch questy feel to it here, which is not necessarily the strongest, you know, narrative style for a, a TV show. So I'm really curious to see how they handle it. I, I started to see a little bit during this section where I was kind of like, this feels, <laughs> this is feeling like a video game to me. Um, so so that's someplace where I hope they heal a little bit further because uh, it, there really was a lot of emphasis placed on that car battery without it being really super clear, you know, why it was going to be needed or that it was going to be needed or, you know, what was going to happen after they got it or anything like that. So well, they were going to get it and drive to Wyoming, Kyle. I mean, what's so difficult to put it together with the, <laughs> all the gas, does he all have the gas truck? stations? Well, he was, he was buying the truck or he was setting up to buy the truck from the Fedra guard who he was selling the drugs to. But he knew, he knew that the truck would need a battery, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. it was, it, it, you're right. It is video gamey in the, in the video game itself. They're looking for a shipment of guns that Robert has uh, stolen from under them and given to the fireflies. So, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I feel like it kind of would have well, been Well, the and then same. they have to eventually get them into the same building as Ellie. And, you know, that's, I think that that makes sense, um, how they kind of did it here. Um, what doesn't make sense is how, you know, Robert was trying to sell. Well, I mean, I guess it makes somewhat sense, but how he was trying to sell, like, bad goods. So, um, because at some point they're all going to figure it out, right? <laughs> so, yeah. There's What's, that uh, in the in the video game, as I already mentioned, like finding Robert uh, as they find him. He's already dead in the game. Right. You are like there's kind of a lengthy for me anyway, because I failed a couple of times. You, you have to get through like 12 of his guys uh, across several different maps to, in order to, to catch up with him. Um, so I was kind of I, I preferred the way that this unfolded. Yeah. With him having that interrogation scene, then kind of disappears, and then clearly, like they've just missed a big shootout in in Firefly Central, uh, and we get to meet Marlene and and Ellie. Actually, we've met Ellie already because we've had a few sequences with her uh, chained up by the Fireflies, they're, and they're testing her, and they're you know I think it's clear that they're testing her for for cordyceps um, yeah. because they're asking her to count, they're asking her her name, they're asking her a lot of stuff, and she's really angry about it um so there is that and we also have a very uh you know an illuminating scene between her and marlene and marlene shares a secret that they don't tell the audience but um it allies her with marlene and it turns out that marlene is the one responsible for putting her into the uh fedra training camp so i um, think this is uh they're putting some feelers for a DLC or like an extra like left behind. Apparently yep. Kyle, have you played that? I have played left behind. I have not played last of us two. So I might have to do that before next season. If they get through all of the first game in this season, but they, I have played left behind Riley, who they name drop in one of these scenes with Marlene and Ellie is a character from left behind as I, as I understand it. Mm hmm. Okay. And well, I haven't played it either. So I don't know what's going on there. And if you try to in the game, it's like, make sure you have played all of Left Behind before you play or all of Last of Us before you play Left Behind. I'm like, isn't it a prequel? I don't understand. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, um, I will probably get there eventually. Um, so Ella, Bella Ramsey is playing uh, Ellie. Ellie was originally voiced by Ashley Johnson, 
who is like a 32 year old woman. So that wasn't going to work out. Uh, they couldn't get her to come back. Troy Baker also voices uh, Joel Miller in the in the game. And I don't think he does anything on screen, but he voices just about everybody that you've yeah. ever heard on video games and in cartoons. He's, he's well, and a very also, common uh, voice. Maisie Williams was actually originally considered for the Ellie part, but she had aged out by the time they got here. Um, and I somehow had in my head that Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey knew each other from Game of Thrones, even though they were in totally different seasons. <laughs> seasons. <laughs> different seasons. Um, and he was dead for a long time. And yeah. he was dead for a really long time. But uh, they definitely have a lot of chemistry already from the get-go, even if it's somewhat negative chemistry, because they're uh, they they conflict with each other just because they have they're kind of similar personas um but it's it's i thought even off the bat their interactions were really good you know despite the fact that they made joel and and tommy latino um and and uh changed the the race of sarah um fundamentally speaking it feels like especially pedro and and gabriel luna are we're trying to hew very closely to their video game representations like the the way they deliver lines the the way they have the actors dressed and and costumed um it it really walks this weird line between like nostalgia and and uh recreation in in a lot of the scenes and i think bella ramsey is actually the most in some ways the most daring of the castings of the um of the characters from the video game so far she's the most different from her video game uh counterpart in terms of portrayal and and acting choices and stuff like that and i'm i'm really excited to see what she does in the role because i i think that's the one where i can see the most deviation from from the source material in both cases she is a 14 year old girl with a knife and an anger problem though right at the, at, its, yeah. at, the very, <laughs> at the center of the character or the core is the same but yeah um, no, and no, think, the character character is not different, but the the acting choices that are made are. Okay. Right. And I mean, Belle Ramsey, we even saw in Game of Thrones, she was one of our favorite little like she wasn't she didn't get nearly enough screen time. But as the Lady Mormont, she was really just exceptional. So I was excited to see her in this. And I think she's pulling that same kind of uh, badassery, if you will, here. Um, so. You know, and and again, their rapport is immediate. Um, I I do think that okay, they both need the the car battery. That both groups need the car battery, and the way that they kind of convince them to do this, um, eh, it was fine, a little too convenient. But then once we get them out of the sort of quarantine zone, I thought it was pretty interesting. And again, the cinematography is really good. The way they're using light, there's that there's like the whole scene, which I don't both of you probably know better than I, but the whole walking through the the pipe with the rain coming down on it and the mm. light coming through is that it felt like a video game to me. <laughs> so that, I think yeah. that's probably part of it. But I thought there, that, there are many pipes uh, it, yes. in many in many rains. <laughs> Because it takes um, you like thirty you minutes. Yeah, it takes yeah. a long time to make your way through that section. Right, and then this, you know, this sort of like ending the where they where they sort of leave this, um, where they're bringing her to be sort of rescued out or brought, uh, where the you know the the fireflies need her to be brought. Um, is when they run into the guard that Joel has been dealing with before. Um, just a really great. The whole scene is excellent because 
clearly they've bribed this job this guy before he's done different things with them before because even tess is like hey just let's go this time and we'll give you <laughs> we'll give you our our money from this run and he pauses for a moment um and you think that they might just get away with it and then he's like oh nah and then it fully goes into like basically a flashback scene like like sarah and we're sarah and joel getting shot so um you have you have joel's sort of like ptsd kicking in full fully um and you know i just thought that the tension here was really great and you're not quite sure where it's going to end up they they made a couple changes here that i think are really smart um one is that i really like that uh joel has a connection to the guard Mm -hmm. yes he we've seen them interact before and we get the sense that they have some history in the video game it's just like some random guards um so it's nobody that you've been introduced to before and you just murder them all or you you just murder them yeah Yeah. (laughs) um and sorry the other thing i really like here is that um the the way that they did the flashback it's it's kind of implied in the game but it's certainly not explicitly shown the way that it is here where you kind of enter his point of view and see that he's literally seeing stuff from the past Mm -hmm. um and and it it just kind of underlines you know the the motivation for his actions during this scene and why he would protect this girl that he just met um and the emotional impact of that hits hits home a little bit more and i think it kind of continues on through to the revelation to um to tess and joel about why ellie is important because in the show we kind of know this from the scenes with marlene but we don't in the game so in the game you you pretty much just like kill the guards and then turn immediately to talking to Ellie about the bite on her arm and stuff like that. Um, but in the show, you it's all kind of fuzzed out and far away and distant to Joel because he's still stuck in this weird like kind of like post-traumatic stress-induced haze. And so um, it just kind of moves the focus from this plot point to an emotional point in a way that I really like. Mm. And I'm sorry because we did jump over a very key scene, which is the bonding of Joel and, and, or the sort of reluctant bonding. Yeah, I, I wouldn't guess. call it bonding yet, but yeah, mm-hmm. they're, they're spending yeah. time together at least. It's bonding in a conflicted way, but it's still there. It's because, you know, I think he's resisting uh, her resisting building a relationship with her because he's very shut down, but uh, they're in his apartment and she's discovered this little key with like these songs and different genres mean different things. So he has like a billboard uh, chart thing, I guess, to figure out which, which songs they are. Um, But you know, it's like in code and sixties, I forget what it is. Sixties is all good or no news. Seventies is something else sort of benign or there's new stuff on the street. And then eighties has a big red X next to it, which, um, Ellie rightly assumes is negative and she's trying to get him to tell her things and kind of tries to trick him um, and and does. And they just have this, they're clashing, but he's definitely, he's interacting with her in an interesting way that absolutely plays into this scene where he ends up protecting her because he's obviously dealing with some unresolved emotions about his daughter's death. Um, that scene also a shot for shot, line for line recreation from the video game and it was a very weird scene in a video game because it's this you know completely uh you know actionless moment it's not very common that video games just take a few minutes to just chill out like that Mm. um 
in the midst of the gameplay. So uh, also a very memorable thing that sticks in a lot of players' minds. So, And then I would also say that they've really done a good job at building up the information the audience knows because when the guard is testing them with the scanner, he, he, they're like on their knees. You can see that the scanner is green when it hits Tess and when it hits Dole. And then you don't see what it does when he or like he's kind of interrupted because Ellie freaks out when it tests her and we know why a little bit in a few minutes um, because Tess picks up the scanner after the the guard is kind of down for the count and it's red and so we get into this whole like and we know that that means cordyceps and she's goes into the very as, as you said the explanation about her bite but they're more the focus is on the fact that Joel is just beating the pulp out of this guard um and you can also see that she is Ellie is um, really they're sort of impressed by the fact that he has done this. She, there's not she's not horrified. Um, yeah, so she's into also, it. She's she really is... she's almost like I don't want to say gleeful, but she's definitely supercharged Eager. by the fact that he's done this. Yeah. Um, so that's that you can kind of see. I don't want to say is it admiration? Yeah, basically yeah, it's it's, it's, so. it's that and it's like a. This guy killed a guy for me, and that's yep. cool because I have not had that person in my life yet. Yeah, so that is definitely, um, I think, a key scene between these two characters and just to set up something between them. You certainly get the impression that's why Tess also is a fan of Joel because he probably has killed people for her uh, based on the stuff between her and Robert earlier in the uh, in the episode. Um, the, so the three of them make their way further out of the QZ uh, perimeter to the to the tune of um, Depeche Mode something something. Apparently that song has jumped to like five hundred percent on Spotify since right. since the episode came out. I am a huge fan of Depeche Mode and Music for the Masses, which is which that album is. Um, I maybe the Billboard thing would have helped him um, for. Uh... <laughs> you know, uh, to, to figure out what that song is. But um, I don't know that you would know that it was called Never Let Me Down Again. I knew it was from the 80s. I don't, I guess that like a lot of people were downloading this after the show came out and all that. But I don't know that people would automatically have known. The synthesizers um, alone, no? Maybe, but I don't know. I, I know that Craig Mazin basically said he was like a huge fan of the, the song and, and the lyrics are deliberately giving you a bit of a hint about where Ellie and uh, Ellie and Joel are going to be going. Um, but it just was an interesting choice. Um, though I'm very happy for Depeche Mode, you know, getting a little bit of a kick, not that they needed it. <laughs> not like, not quite like the Kate Bush story from Stranger Things, but mm. it's just kind of funny that people are discovering this now. Um, but that kind of takes us to the end of the episode, but I do want to, uh, we didn't talk about it yet, but um, things that I'm loving about the production in this show include uh, hair and makeup. They all look terrible. Anna Torv is like the least <laughs> yep. hot I've ever seen her. And that's difficult. Uh, she's <laughs> yep. a very good looking lady. Uh, Pedro Pascal can, you could just probably roll him around in dirt and he'll still look fine. Right. Like he's, he's just got that gruff but thing. Sarah looked like a little angel all along but so, pre-apocalypse. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Then, no, that, like, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. the contrast is deliberate and, and good. Right. But then what everybody is wearing in the QZ, even the Fedric guards, it's like ratty and threadbare. Mm -hmm. I love this detail. I am a huge fan of people looking messed up in the apocalypse. And this is kind of what I want. They were 
not very many jokes in this uh, episode. It, you know, and even the jokes in the beginning about like, you know, where she's getting her money. Oh, I sell drugs kind of thing are a little bit sad because you kind of know what's coming. Mm. Um, but one thing that did genuinely make me laugh out loud is when Marlene's uh, like second in command. I think her name's Kim. Mm-hmm. she's like I-, I can take him i can take him and marlene's like kim you don't have a fucking ear on your fucking head and he, and like, he cuts to the, the side of her head and she literally has had has her ear shut off and it was i thought that was hilarious and the makeup was like perfectly gory but it just made me laugh out loud that she yep. like, literally did not have an ear on her. well kim. and it's also you don't quite see it so the reveal is just just crazy but yeah also, exactly like, Dark, yeah, like you feel bad for laughing, but I she did. She tries laugh. so hard, Kim. <laughs> she yep. does. She doesn't really know what's going on. She's kept in the dark, but she's trying to be a good soldier. But she doesn't have an ear. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're pretty much at the end. But is there any other uh, parting comments that you guys have about the the so, production value of the show, the script writing, anything to not, leave on? I, there was one scene we just, we didn't talk about. Just like the, there was like a very also a funny line between Marlene and Ellie when she's giving her a little bit of the background about the fact that she had dropped her into this little training camp. Um, and she's and Ellie is just like, are you my mom? And Marlene's like, I <laughs> look I like your, like mom? your mom. And it just, it is very funny the way that they play it. And so yeah, Bella Ramsey's res- like response to that was very well played. Yeah. Yes, no, so, you don't. No, no, you don't. <laughs> um, so again, I think that the cast is, is great and they have great chemistry. Um, even, those cast members that are only on for like the short little scenes. And again, I thought Nico Parker did a phenomenal job setting, setting the table of this relationship with Joel and the trauma that affects him obviously well into the future. And basically part is just a pinnacle in terms of the storyline, just like a bedrock of this, um, this whole story and this journey uh, that he and Ellie are going to go on. So to your point about the, production design steward i thought that the um you, you know we, we touched on earlier but the design of the cordyceps infections was really it just impeccably rendered on screen both the mm-hmm. tendrils coming out of people's mouths which is like so gross and and hairy um but also uh the the expired guy that they find kind of pinned mm-hmm. to the wall uh in one of the buildings that they're exploring um with the you know, infection just like radiating outward from him. It really reminded me of um, Annihilation, the uh, oh, Alex yeah. Garland film from a couple of years ago. Um, and is like this weird mix of like horrifying and, and weirdly beautiful in a way as well. And, and just ugh, like it just got me. So I think they're doing a great job with that. Some of that stuff comes directly from the game, but it's it's even more effective here, I think. Well, and I think we, at least if you watch sort of the trailers as they show, like the ongoing episodes and things like that, it gets even worse or better or whatever you want to call it. Um, horrifying, I guess, fungi people. Um, and, you know, I'm still interested to see how they reveal sort of the life cycle of the cordyceps. And now that they've, you know, shown what Ellie is and the fact that she survived it and... I, I'm curious to see what they do with the rest of that particular, the, like the information that's related to the infections and how this kind of goes forward. But I, I agree with you, Kyle. I think that the rendering of that was really good. And I also thought it was interesting that Tess, Tess, who's seen a lot, was so freaked out by seeing that because she was surprised by it. And you would imagine that they've seen a lot of whatever this is or going on, right? 
Well, it's also interesting to know that in this particular world, you know, just thinking about the zombie mechanics of it, that there is kind of like an end, you know, state to to Mm. get to that, like, they can kind of, quote unquote, die if um, if the infection progresses far enough or if they don't get enough sunlight or whatever. So kind of starting to to build the the world building uh, here. Um, See, I think that's that's as good a place to stop as any. I will throw one more thing in, Kyle, um, playing the video game. Uh, the one thing I I will note about Tess is that she is freakishly strong because she there's a few times where she has to like haul Joel up over a, a ledge and she can just do it with one hand. Uh, and he's not a small guy that luckily they don't recreate that in the TV show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I look forward to continuing to compare this game and show with you guys and mostly talk about the show and all these amazing actors uh, and the story going forward, because I think we have a few more episodes of this ahead. I think they'll start to diverge a little bit more. That's my gut sense that we'll start to see the show runners putting more and more of an imprint on things as things progress. And you leave behind some of these really classic sequences from early on that are really embedded in people's um, memory. They might've felt like with this first episode, they really had to prove themselves to, to hardcore fans of the game and, and, now that they've gotten them on their side, so to speak, they can relax a little bit, but but mm-hmm. we'll just have to wait and see. Well, it really is that first, uh, that 30 minute segment at the beginning, uh, the, the flight, and then the second half of the episode, there are a few things, uh, but it, I think, and maybe that's how we'll see it going forward is like just nods as opposed to entire seg- uh, sequences ripped out of the cutscenes. but we'll see. And I hope that um, those of you who've listened along, uh, who want to share your opinions or thoughts about this show, can uh, get in touch with us and let us know what you think. We're at reanimatedpodcast at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes online at reanimated.podbean.com. And uh, any other final thoughts? No, but looking forward to reviewing the show and and watching along with both of you. And thanks again, Kyle, for for making a guest appearance. Thanks for for having me back. I'm, I'm excited. Goodbye. Ciao.